Hello and welcome aboard this island nation, the Maritime Programme. Tom McSweeney here with the programme about Ireland's maritime culture, history, tradition and development. On this edition, the challenges and dangers of fishing and the debt the nation owes to fishermen. This time of the year has been historically a sad and tragic time for the commercial fishing industry to whom we all owe a great debt of gratitude to. And another dolphin decides to make its home on the Irish coastline. Could Nemo in Galway become a counterpart to Fungi in Dingle? This is a wonderful opportunity for Galwegians to observe a wild dolphin close to a city centre and often within clear view of the shoreline. This island nation is Ireland's maritime radio programme coming to you from the studios of CRY 104FM in Yall on the East Cork coastline and bringing together through the maritime community around Ireland an island people, a community bonded by the sea around us. And keeping that sea clean is very important. Fishermen are doing that job. Sometimes it's heartbreaking for them in terms of heart and backbreaking because if you bring up some large pieces of litter, that's a lot of work for the crew. And it might be two o'clock in the morning when they're like, oh, but still they do it. And they do do it. That's the story of the Fishing for Litter programme, which we'll be telling you about. And you're very welcome to contact This Island Nation. Email thisislandnation at gmail.com. That's thisislandnation at gmail.com. And phone 0872 the fishing industry is under severe threat and as we reported in the last edition there's a strong feeling that it hasn't been fairly treated by the European Union nor by the Irish government. The series of storms this winter including the most recent storm Dennis or Dennis the Menace as has been widely referred to revealed many foreign fishing boats being in Irish waters where they sought shelter in Irish harbours. Fishing is one of the most dangerous of occupations. The year started badly for the industry, as John Leach, Chief Executive of Water Safety Ireland, now recalls from his office in Galway. John is a former leader of the Naval Service Diving Unit. It was a very tragic start to the new year when we all woke to the news that the fishing vessel Elise from Kilmore Quay had disappeared approximately nine nautical miles south of Hookhead, with Joe Sinnott and Willie Whelan on board. I understand from what I have heard that the fishermen had been fishing for scallops when the trawler sank. It's believed both men had a good safety record and the trawler was well maintained. The Coast Guard staff and volunteers, the Ornolai staff and volunteers, the Naval Service ships and crew, as well as the many fishing vessels who searched the surface, as well as the members of the public who searched the shorelines, must be congratulated for their efforts. It is at times like this that we remember the crews of the Pear Charles, the Honeydew 2, the Maggie B., rising sun who also perished in these waters. This time of the year has been historically a sad and tragic time for the commercial fishing industry to whom we all owe a great debt of gratitude to, for keeping our fishmongers supplied with fresh fish and for keeping our processors in business. Joe Sinnott from Kilmore Quay was recovered from the sea by the crew of the Sikorsky Rescue 117 but pronounced dead in hospital. The search had been ongoing for almost three weeks for Willie Whelan 
who is from salt mills in Featherdon Sea, involving multiple state and voluntary agencies as well as an individual fishermen, divers and members of the public. Members of the Hookhead Sabaka Club carried out a dive on Wednesday 22nd of January at the wreck site and one of the divers located his body on the trawler and it was recovered successfully the following day by the naval divers, giving solace and a certain amount of closure for his loving family. The Marine Casualty Investigation Board is conducting an investigation on how she sank so that we can all learn from this awful tragedy. Naval divers use the Irish Lights vessel Grognoin as a diving platform as she is one of the most stable ships in our fleet with a large working deck and is ideal for diving and underwater search operations. Also taking part in the operation were Garda specialists and Coast Guard members. The divers would have filmed the wreck site with a view to ascertain how the vessel sank in such a fast and catastrophic manner, not giving the crew time to embark into their life raft. I commend the divers who searched for Willie's remains, being the former officer in charge of the naval diving section. I have had first-hand experience of diving on such wrecks in this area, and there is a high risk of divers getting fouled in floating lines and nets around such a site. So a well-calculated risk assessment must be required to find a settled surface conditions as well as near slack tidal stream uh, to reduce that risk to your divers. This tragedy is a sorrowful but real reminder of the dangers of fishing at this time of the year. So please be careful out there. Ensure that your vessel complies with all the requirements of the Marine Surveyor's Office. Keep safety to the forefront of your mind. Always wear a life jacket and keep an eye on the weather with the Irish Lights and Met Ocean Boys that update the weather for you every 15 minutes. Always check them before you go to sea. They're based at the Fastnet Lighthouse, the Kishbank Lighthouse, boys at Ballybunion, Cunningbeg, Dublin Bay, Finnis, Foyle, the Splaw, the South Hunter and the South Rock. So follow them on Twitter for the most accessible results. They're also available on the website at irishlights.ie. So until next month, an appeal to you and a reminder to always wear a life jacket on or near the water and use your influence to further influence and reduce the number of drownings on our island nation. John Leach, Chief Executive of Water Safety Ireland reporting and with a safety message for fishermen, which is very important. And fishermen are often criticised by environmentalists, but they're making a huge contribution to keeping the marine environment clean, having removed 190 tonnes of litter, including nets, plastic and wood, which was taken from the sea by Irish fishermen last year. 230 fishing boats are taking part in Bordiski Wara's voluntary fishing for litter scheme. Of the 12 ports involved, Kilmore Quay in County Wexford removed the most litter last year, 35 tonnes, followed by Castleton Bear in West Cork with 33 and Dunmore East in County Waterford with 22. Catherine Barrett of the State Fisheries Board BIM, who runs the scheme there, told Justin Marr how it started. We started with three ports, Union Hall, Castleton Bear and Clarehead. And as time went on, then fishermen said, can you have it in my port? Or where can I bring it? And then we added another one and another one. And now we're at a network of 12. So it covers all our fishery harbour centres. And then um, council or local authority run piers like Baltimore, Kilmore Quay, Kinsale, Greencastle. We work with the harbour management or the harbour masters and those as well. That's why we're now at 12 ports at a take-up of technically 95%, but really that's at a really high capacity because 
there's boats for sale, there's boats tied up for various reasons. So that's a very kind of live figure. So that's why it's been incremental. Uh, so what we're doing now is that it's they kind of double down on those ports now and boats are signing up. But there you know, a lot of the questions like, well, what do I do with this? Or what's next? And how do I do? And, and, and they, they come back with more questions of how to maybe improve practices of themselves. And they want to know more. And I think fishermen are no different to the rest of us. We had a black bin, then we got a green bin, then we got a brown bin, then we got a glass bin. And so the industry are, are also asking, what should I do with this? What should I do with that? And that's our next big challenge is loads of fishermen have asked us, just give us one kind of sheet on what to do with everything. What's the best thing we should do with this waste or that waste? Um, because they want to do that from being part of that green wave of wanting to improve waste management, wanting to recycle, wanting to be a better participant in that whole area of plastics and waste management that everybody is asking, am I doing the right thing? What should I put in the spin? And fishermen are also asking us that, which is great. So we're working on how we kind of communicate that. So a key element as well in this is the actual Harbour Masters and their staff. They're critical to this because they're the ones saying, yeah, I'll take that. I'm going to put it here, put it there. And knowing what to do in the various harbours. So the Harbour Masters and their staff, they've been really, really important. What happens with all the waste materials that the fishermen bring back? Where does that go? So all of the ports would use licensed contractors for waste management. So we have a dedicated skip for the marine litter. Now, a lot of the marine litter is hugely contaminated. It effectively is like a black bin, if you know what I mean, that there's very little that can be done with it. So we leave it to the waste contractors with their skills and and their knowledge of what can be done with that type of waste. What we're doing on the other side then is what can we do with the sector to reduce their risk of any of their material being marine litter. That's why we have a new project in in Castle in particular as a pilot. We're calling it SmartNet, where we're going through how we can monitor and report fishing gear on the market, how we can monitor and report end-of-life gear. Because the industry, they're saying, can I find something to say that I've retired my nets or I'm, I'm responsible with my gear? They're looking for something to demonstrate that they're actually responsible fishermen around their gear. So that's been quite transformative as well uh, in terms of the industry engagement. And it seems that it's local fishermen looking after their local community and that having a national effect. Yes, exactly. So it's that type of local nudge, if you know what I mean. And some of the fishermen, they've set up a Fishing for Litter Ireland community page on Facebook where they put up their photos and in the same way that a tidy towns group would do it or a local development group would do it, that behaviour is also in the catching sector. And, you know, sometimes we think, oh, they're just commercial fishermen and they're just a business. No, these are people and their brothers, their fathers, their uncles, their cousins in a community. And that's a really important element. And tapping into that has been, I suppose, nearly transformative, really. They don't have to do this. No one knows whether they're doing it or not. They're out completely out of sight. To have that commitment to keep bringing it in, and sometimes it's heartbreaking for them in terms of heart and backbreaking because if they bring up some large pieces of litter, that's a lot of work for the crew. And it might be two o'clock in the morning when they're like, oh, but still they do it. And I think that is, you know, it, it sounds easy. Oh, they've done this, they're up to 400 tonnes. 
But like that's 400 tons that men have organized and put ashore and lifted and it needs a forklift. The whole, how many touch points that one ton of litter does, no mind saying 400 tons, is a feat. Catherine Barrett of Bordisky War describing the reality of the Fishing for Litter programme. I was sent an extract this week by a listener who saw it on the United States Coast Guard Twitter feed. It read, America is a maritime nation. It is a nation shaped by seafarers who recognise the tremendous economic potential derived from unrestricted access to the oceans, internal waterways, deep water ports and protective straits and bays. I agree with the listener who added, wouldn't it be great to hear an Irish government or state agency say that? Indeed it would. Not sure I'll be holding my breath for that to happen, though. Now Justin Marr has a roundup of maritime news. Oyster farming is now worth €43 million Euro to the national economy. That's the figure quoted by the National Seafood Authority Board Ishkiwara, which says that international demand for Irish oysters is increasing because of their quality. The figure was given to a seafood conference held in Carlingford. A major effort is being made to deal with the biggest problem identified for the future of sailing as a sport, keeping young people interested. The National Sailing Organisation, Irish Sailing, and the Irish Cruiser Racing Association have joined forces to launch the Under-25 scheme, the purpose of which is outlined by the man in charge of running it, Brian Raftery from Sligo Yacht Club. Most sports see a big drop-off in participation as young people get into their late teens. In sailing, this is often increased by the fact that this age corresponds to when a lot of younger people are starting to grow out of the junior dinghy fleets like Optimus and Lasers and they're not sure where they're going to go. A lot of young sailors feel there's a big gap between themselves and the adult sailors. Some of them will hop on and off other larger boats for regattas. Many just drift away from the sport. So the idea for the under-25 teams was to offer a chance for young sailors to form their own team with the club providing a boat. The under-25 team members must then plan, budget and fund their own sailing. The clubs will provide their team a mentor to guide them and offer advice and assist them when issues arise. But ultimately, it's the young people themselves that run their own team. The Irish Ocean Literacy Network wants to achieve an ocean literate society across Ireland, which it says would give citizens more understanding of the influence of the oceans on our lives. It has made a call for more people to join its network. More information is available by emailing info at irishoceanliteracy.ie. In Britain, following its exit from the EU, the government has issued new statistics about its maritime sector. They show that the UK's earnings from marine exports grew last year by 4% to a total of £1.5 billion sterling. A total of 674 ocean-going ships were dismantled worldwide last year. The vast majority were broken up on beaches in Bangladesh, India and Pakistan, despite concern about poor working practices and the environment. The world's largest fish has been identified as the whale shark by the International Marine Sanctuary Organization. Whale sharks are 40 foot long, but not dangerous to humans, according to the organization, which describes them as gentle giants. And finally, there's always something unusual in the sea, and this time it's also about sharks. 
Four new species of what are described as walking sharks have been discovered in the tropical waters of the Indo-Australian archipelago, which lies between mainland Indonesia and Australia. Researchers from Australia's University of Queensland observed them using their fins to walk across the sea floor, a surprising way of moving through the water, the researchers said. Underlining Justin's report that there is always something unusual in the sea, another item of maritime news which has come to hand reports that an 8 million year old turtle shell has been found in Venezuela, measuring nearly 8 feet, that's 2.4 metres long, and making it the largest complete turtle shell ever known to science. Indeed, always something unusual in the sea. Nemo's Pier is in the centre of Galway, near the famous Clada area, and is a very important site for birds and bird watching. The pier was designed by the Scottish engineer Alexander Nimmo, hence the name, and is regarded as an engineering structure of outstanding quality, where many of the original features, including a wide range of mooring bollards not seen in too many places nowadays, have been preserved. It's also the location favoured by a dolphin, who's now been recorded arriving there regularly for the past five years. Could Nemo, as this dolphin has been named, become a counterpart to fungi at Dingle in County Kerry? Padraig Cooley, sightings officer at the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group, tells the story. With the stretch in the days on most of February behind us, we can reflect on cetacean activity this winter and look ahead to what we might find this coming spring. But any analysis of cetacean activity over a winter period at these latitudes is likely to be brief, and this reflects as much on the prevailing poor winter weather in the North Atlantic than on any notions we may have about the presence or absence of animals. That said, the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group has still validated over 60 sightings of four cetacean species since the 1st of January, of which the harbour porpoise makes up just over 50%. Porpoises are our smallest whale, and as is quite common for this species, they showed quite well along the east coast throughout January. In second place was the bottlenose dolphin, with a good run of sightings along the east Antrim coast between the mouth of Belfast Lock and Red Bay, again in January. But the most noteworthy bottlenose dolphin sighting to date this winter has been of an individual who will be familiar to many wildlife enthusiasts who regularly walk along the Galway promenade. On the 28th of January, we received and validated a sighting by Andrew Morgans of a solitary dolphin off the Nemo's Pier area of Galway Docks. Given the location and circumstances, we are confident this is the adult bottlenose dolphin known, perhaps not surprisingly, as Nemo. Hopefully, this will be the first of many such records we'll receive of him or her in the coming months. This sighting brings to five the number of consecutive years we've observed this individual close to Nemo's Pier. He or she first came to our attention in 2015 and has since been recorded on 82 days. Similar perhaps to our humpback whales along the Irish southwest, the data suggests that Nemo was appearing earlier most years. It's also interesting to look at the number and span of sightings year on year, which tell us that not only is Nemo arriving earlier most years, but also staying longer. While this could be an artefact of increased awareness of its presence and more people reporting to the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group, the data suggests that this area now represents important core feeding habitat for Nemo. 
This is a wonderful opportunity for Galwegians to observe a wild dolphin close to a city centre and often within clear view of the shoreline, where optics may not even be necessary to view it. So it will be very interesting to see how Nemo gets on this year and how long he or she will remain in the area, if at all. Of course, we'd ask people to report any sightings of Nemo over the coming months and not to assume that because we may know he's in the general area that we aren't interested in your sighting. We are. It is your daily reports that help us build up the all-important bigger picture as to how populations use all Irish waters and how individuals use local waters. It's been very quiet on the whale front with just two confirmed sighting reports of fin whales off the Ling Rocks south of Cork Harbour and Hookhead County Wexford on the 21st and 22nd of January. Sightings of late season fin whales along the Celtic Sea are not uncommon and coincide with the presence of spawning herring and sprat in traditional spawning grounds in places like Dunmore East. It's very likely that there were a lot more fin whales and perhaps even some humpbacks spread out over a wide area extending from East Cork along the Waterford coast towards the Hook Peninsula. But even the planet's second largest animal is difficult to spot without calm seas and clear skies something that has been in short supply in recent weeks. So it's quite likely that our paltry two whale records says a lot more about the succession of Atlantic storms that have battered our coastline than it does about the whales. But with humpback whales arriving off the Azores in recent weeks, it's reasonable to assume that the southbound migration to the tropical breeding grounds is well underway. And as not every whale makes this long migration, it's likely that a few hardy, or lonely individuals chose to overwinter at our latitudes or further north. I mean, it's a long track south for a whale if at the end of the day you're going to partake in neither the making of or giving birth to baby whales. So for those that are either too young or post-productive, code for too old, staying where the food is may not be such a bad alternative. Their blubber layer is more than capable of taking care of the cold. Finally, if you're interested in large whales or curious about our conservation and research, then the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group is delighted to announce Whale Tales Cork on Saturday the 28th of March at the Celtic Ross Hotel, Roscarbury, with an optional land-based whale watch at nearby Crocknahead between 4 and 5pm, weather permitting of course. This unique one-day event will bring together a diverse mix of citizen scientists, researchers operators and marine wildlife enthusiasts, all passionate about whales, who will share their stories and experiences. It will be an opportunity for the Irish Whale and Dove Group to present some of our findings over the past 20 years and to look ahead to the next 20 and to explore the challenges facing these visiting giants. All are welcome and bookings on Eventbrite via iwdg.ie. This is Pori Cooley of the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group signing off for This Island Nation. Padre Cooley telling us about Whale Tales Cork, which should be an interesting conference in Ross Carberry. It always intrigues me that in years past, whales were never considered to be a possibility to be in Irish waters. Now we regularly talk about them. And we've referred a few times in this edition to unusual things happening at sea. And the grounding of the 80 metre, that's about 260 feet long, cargo vessel Alta, which unmanned went to ground on the East Cork coastline, 
is one example of that. It happened near Ballycotton, not too far from Yall, where we broadcast this programme from. The ship was abandoned by its crew of 10 who were rescued by the US Coast Guard back in October of 2018, and that happened 1,400 nautical miles southeast of Bermuda when it was under the Tanzanian flag en route from Greece to Haiti. Mechanical problems couldn't be repaired by the crew and the disabled ship had drifted for 20 days. It wasn't seen again until nearly a year later, September of 2019, by a Royal Naval Ice Patrol ship which sent a boarding party that found no one on the ship. That vessel drifted off again and wasn't seen until grounding in Ballycotton. It's amazing that a crewless ship could stay afloat for so long. And with that story, we end this edition of This Island Nation, produced at CRY 104FM Yall on the East Cork coastline, with technical supervision by Justin Marr, and broadcast on community radio stations around Ireland, in Dublin on Near FM, Dublin City FM, Liffey Sound and Dublin South, on Dondok FM, on Athlone Community Radio, in Galway on Connemara Community Radio and Kinvara FM. On Radio Kirkabashkeen in Clare, Kilkenny City Radio, West Limerick 102 FM, in Mayo on Community Radio Castle Bar, and Eris FM Balmollet, Cork City Radio, West Cork FM, and Community Radio Bear Island. And there are podcasts on iTunes, Mixcloud, Soundcloud, Spotify, and the MarineTimes.ie. Whatever you've been listening, thank you for being part of the Maritime Community on Community Radio. The programme email address is thisislandnation at gmail.com, phone and text 0872 555 197. That's email thisislandnation at gmail.com, phone and text 0872 555 197. Until our next programme from me, Tom McSweeney, the usual wish of fair sailing. <laughs>